turn to the book of Malachi, please. We're on the last chapter today, and I think by now you know it's the last chapter of the last book of the Old Testament. Chapter 4. This evening we're going to consider the Son of Righteousness. Malachi chapter 4. And that chapter really needs to be studied in the light of what was previously said by the prophet, or at the very least what was said to him in the the final section of the previous chapter, chapter 3. I say that because, as you can see, when you look at chapter 4, how does it start with the word for? And that, that ought to tell you that it's continuing the thoughts of the previous chapter. So it's probably a good idea to start with a brief recap of what we considered last week. If you just look back to chapter 3 and verse 16 there, it, it was seen that when all who feared God spoke often one to another about God, a book of remembrance was written before him for them. Do you remember I made much of fearing God that it's not a bad thing? And when you think about it, it is only the godly who fear God. The ungodly most certainly do not fear God. They may fear men, but they don't fear God. If they did, they would fall down before him, confessing their sins and and pleading for mercy. So we looked at that. Those who feared God spoke often one to another about God. A book of remembrance was written before him for them in order to be produced on the day of judgment, it was pointed out that even though the Jews as a nation rebelled against the Lord, he nevertheless kept for himself a remnant, not just in the time of uh, Malachi, but throughout the history of the Jews, God always had a remnant of people. There was a time when uh, the prophet Elijah, he he it appeared to him that he was the only one who feared God. He was the only one left. And God gave him the assurance that he wasn't the only one left and that there were others who had not bowed the knee to Baal. And that has been the case throughout history. Even though uh, the godly uh, may feel as if all around them have, have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ, God always reserves for himself, keeps a remnant of people who fear him and who thought upon his name, who talked about him. That was the case uh, in the time of Malachi, even though others or the majority of the Jewish nation rejected God and they were most indignant towards God and proud and boastful. There were nevertheless those who feared him. And what has been said about the believing Jews of old uh, really does apply to our day and age. It wasn't, it, this isn't just a history lesson that we're looking at in Malachi. Same pattern really uh, exists today. Purely by the grace of God, there are within this wicked world Jews and Gentiles who fear God, having repented and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ as their saviour from sin. And it is all by the grace of God. Verses 17 and 18 of chapter 3 look ahead 
to when the King of Glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, will come again in power and in glory. On that day, all his redeemed, in other words, all the people who know him and fear him and serve him, having trusted in him, will be claimed and owned by him in full view of the elect angels and in full view of all who have never feared God. In other words, people who have never come to Jesus as repentant sinners. <clears throat> the, the, the elect, the remnant, will be publicly owned in front of all of these Christ-rejecting people when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again. Now we can focus on chapter 4 with all that in mind. Look at verse 1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, all, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. <clears throat> and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. I don't know what your initial thoughts are on that verse, but you're probably spot on. When you think of the fire, the stubble, does that speak to you about judgment? It most certainly did to me when I, I first saw it. And I can't think that it could be anything other than judgment, the day of judgment. <clears throat> the verse is clearly looking ahead to a future time of judgment. Initially, we can say for the Jewish nation, because looking at the commentaries, there are more than a few commentators who don't actually take it beyond the judgment of the Jewish people. So let's start with that, the, the judgment of the Jews, the Jewish nation. But ultimately, we can see it as judgment against God, a wholesale rejection of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, his son, by everybody. Jews and Gentiles alike. When Jesus was in the world, about 400 years after Malachi, he warned, warned the Jews about a coming judgment when he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them, which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Jesus talking to the Jews in Jerusalem. And it's clearly words of impending judgment. Also the Lord said to his disciples concerning the temple in Jerusalem, there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Couldn't be clearer. Jesus talking about judgment there. And those prophetic words of Jesus came to pass in 70 AD when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Romans and it is estimated that over a million people were killed. Most of them were Jews. Beyond the fiery judgment of God upon the Jewish nation, the future event that is being presented to us 
in chapter 4 and verse 1 must surely point further ahead as I as I've intimated and it must surely point to the end of the age when Jesus will come in judgment and the wicked in other words all who have never feared the Lord of hosts will be cast into hellfire that is clearly taught elsewhere in scripture it's something that we need to consider we need to look at there will be a fiery judgment at the end of the world and I'd like you we will be turning back to Malachi chapter 4 so you might like to keep your finger in there but turn over the pages to the last book of the Bible Revelation chapter 20 Revelation 20 verse 11 the Apostle John speaking about his heavenly vision and he saw, he said, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades, or hell, delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. And look down now to chapter 21, verse 7 and 8. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God. And he shall be my son. But the fearful and unbelieving. And the abominable. And the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers. And idolaters and all liars. Shall have their part in the lake. Which burneth with fire and brimstone. Which is the second death. Therefore. When Jesus comes in judgment, everyone will stand before his throne of judgment and they will be judged according to their works. We see that at the end of chapter 20 and verse 12. Those whose names are written in the book of life refer to all who have trusted in Jesus and in his finished work. When Jesus was made flesh, he was born of a woman, born under the law. That's that's an amazing thing because when you think Jesus is God, he is the law giver. And yet when he came into this world, he subjected himself to the law. Born of a woman, born under the law. He perfectly fulfilled the law's demands and his perfect works are credited to the account of all who have ever trusted in him. 
At the judgment, all who have trusted in Jesus will stand before him as his redeemed, having had their sins atoned for by his precious blood. Trusting in that, trusting in his work at the cross, work of redemption where he redeemed people with his own precious blood. They will be clothed with his garments, with garments of salvation. They will be covered with a robe of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. They will be made up of both Jews and Gentiles who have feared him and spoken often one to another about him. On the other hand, there's always on the other hand, isn't there? There's always the other side of the coin. On the other hand, all who have never trusted in, in Jesus will, will be burnt as stubble. And don't imagine that it means that they will be annihilated. Wouldn't that be a good thing if at the judgment you were just annihilated? No way. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's called the second death. I grant you that it's the second death. But the second death, as it is referred to, is a conscious and everlasting punishment in hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Not my words, but the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Before we move on to Malachi chapter 4 and verse 2, we can turn back to Malachi now. We'll read verse 1 one more time. You can't just move on from a verse like that. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Be very clear about something. You may sit there and you may think, well, I don't do wicked things. I'm not a wicked person. If you start thinking that way, I would urge you to look to the cross. That bloody death on the cross. Terrible death on the cross. Jesus laid down his life, pouring out his blood. For wicked people, not for good people. Jesus was not having a picnic on that cross, that's for sure. A terrible death for terrible people. The only way you will ever be seen by God as not being wicked is in his beloved son. You are holy and without blame in the sight of God in Christ. That is the only way. Other than that, all our righteous acts are as filthy rags. There is none good, no, not one. This is the words of the scriptures. The words there, are about a coming judgment 
They are very solemn. They are very sobering indeed. The most important thing, when you read a verse like that, what can be more important than getting right with God? Being at peace with God, reconciled to God. I can't think of anything more important. That really does put things into perspective. A verse like Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1. And what I've just read to you from Revelation chapter 20 and 21. Nothing else matters in comparison with that. The most important thing that you must do, if you have not already done so, is to be reconciled to God. Therefore, call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as a repentant sinner and you will be saved. For there is no other name under heaven given unto men whereby they must be saved. Look at verse 2 now. But unto you that fear my name, that word fear, it keeps coming up, doesn't it? All the time. Unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in his wings and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. Throughout history, gospel light has been shed upon the earth from heaven and it has illuminated sin-darkened hearts. Jesus is that light. Indeed, he is the son of righteousness. When you consider the sun shining upon the earth, that is a picture of Jesus who declared himself to be the light of the world. Even God's, I say even, God's creation points us to Jesus. There are those who insist that there is no creator God, but God has designed things so that men are without excuse. Not only does creation speak of God, But it points us to Jesus. To the son of righteousness. Jesus declared himself to be the light of the world. And when he was high on a mountain with three of his disciples, they caught a glimpse of his divine glory when he was transformed before them. And his face did shine as the sun. And his clothes were white as light. Jesus, the son of righteousness, is a light that the world has turned its face from and rejected. People love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. Even so, God, who on the first day said, let there be light, has made the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ shine in hearts that were once darkened by sin and the son of righteousness now dwells and reigns in those hearts as people in here can testify. Have you had the eyes of your understanding enlightened? Do you know that, do you know Jesus, the son of righteousness with healing in his wings? Have his grace and mercy shined upon you and shine deep in your heart. 
Have you taken refuge under his mighty wings? Are you safe now and forevermore in his hand, having received him, having believed in his name? He is not just the son, he is the son of righteousness. May he shine upon each one of you and cover you with his righteousness. Charles Wesley's hymn serves as a very fitting prayer for all of us. He said, Eternal Son of Righteousness, display thy beams divine and cause the glory of thy face upon my heart to shine. Light in thy light, oh may I see thy grace and mercy prove, revived and cheered and blessed by thee, the God of pardoning love. Lift up thy countenance serene and let thy happy child behold without a cloud between, the Father reconciled. On me thy promised grace bestow, the peace by Jesus given, the joys of holiness below, and then the joys of heaven. Let's have a look at verse 3 in Malachi chapter 4. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet, in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. This verse may be a reference to Jerusalem with its Christ-rejecting people and its temple reduced to ashes after its destruction, being in a sense trodden on by the early Christian church. Beyond that, it can be seen as an encouragement for all who fear the name of the Lord. All too often, they are the ones who are trodden down. If you belong to Jesus, you will have experienced it, no doubt, being trodden down by the wicked because of your faith in Jesus. However, the day will come when those who will receive their heavenly inheritance, whilst the proud, the wicked go to perdition or everlasting punishment in the lake of fire, things will be changed. At the moment, you are trodden down by the wicked, but come the day of judgment, things will be very different. When you, you who fear God, receive your heavenly inheritance and the wicked go to the lake of fire. People who have not known God and have not obeyed the gospel of Christ. Verse 4, remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Malachi was the last of the Old Testament prophets and after him God would be silent for 400 years until John the Baptist came preaching a message of repentance and preparing men's hearts for the coming Christ. 400 years of silence. Even so, in that interim period, they would still have the law of Moses. They wouldn't have any (coughs) more prophets, but they would have the law of Moses, which was their schoolmaster, to bring them to Christ, that they might be justified, not by the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. (coughs) 
When you think of all the laws concerning the priesthood, the sacrifices, the temple, they were given by God to point the Old Testament Jews to Jesus who fulfilled all of those things. As for the moral laws, the Ten Commandments, which demands nothing less than a perfect love for God and a love for your neighbour, that too pointed the Jews to the only one who has ever fulfilled those laws, the Lord Jesus Christ. None of us can look at the Ten Commandments and, and tick the boxes, I've done that, I'm, I'm that, 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 none of us when you consider that those laws are all about a perfect love. None of us have fulfilled those laws. Understand very clearly that the only one who has fulfilled those laws is Jesus. When he came into the world, he was obedient unto God even unto the death of the cross, perfectly fulfilling all the laws and the prophecies. Understand very clearly that nobody is ever justified by the deeds of the law. The law exposes our sin, it exposes our need of Jesus and his righteousness. The Apostle Paul said, I would not have known idolatry, and unless I read, thou shalt not covet. And he was convicted of his covetousness when he read the law. And that's what the law does. It convicts people of sin and their need of the Saviour. To those who believe, in other words, to all who fear the name of the Lord, Jesus is the end of the law. That would have applied equally to all who feared the Lord in Malachi's time and throughout history. They looked ahead to the coming Messiah. No different to us in that sense. As we finish, what are you trusting in for your acceptance by God? Are you trusting in works of the law? Are you trusting in your obedience? Then forget it. When the Lord Jesus Christ stepped down from his glory into this world of sin and degradation, he was born under the law and he has redeemed them that were under the law. Don't try to undo that. His perfect obedience to the law is yours. If you are trusting in him, it's yours. Or maybe you are someone who has no interest in God and no interest in his law. You couldn't care less. As far as you're concerned, there is no God, there is no judgment, there is only death. Well, that's not what the Bible says. I'm going to read verse 1 again. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. Repent and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who having fulfilled the law's demands in life and in death, 
is coming again in judgment. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen.